Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Well, hello and happy 4th of July weekend if you're watching this uh, before Tuesday. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us online today. My name is Anthony. I'm one of the pastors here at Real Life. Uh, and I get to spend some time with you today talking about things that I get excited about and I hope you will as well. This has been a, a big week in my family's life. Uh, Christine and I celebrated 17 years of marriage uh, earlier this week. I'm supposed to Hold for applause. Just kidding. You, you don't have to applaud. You're on the other side of the screen. Uh, and, and if I've learned anything in 17 years of being married while also pastoring, it's this. I know not to tell stories about our marriage without kind of running them by her first to get approval. Uh, so the story I'm about to share will say this happened to a different couple, and I, I won't name any names. Let's say it was a couple who uh, was getting together for their monthly business meeting where they sit down, talk through finances and calendar. That's, norm- that's like everybody, right? You do- if you don't do that, you should, you should try it. I-, I am the kind of person who does those sorts of things. And so were this couple. And as they were talking through how their money was being spent and what was on the calendar, uh, the wife brought up that she really just had it put on her heart that she wanted to make sure that their home was a safe space for their kids. And the husband agreed because he was mostly listening. And when the meeting was done, uh, hopped online and decided to buy a bunch of security cameras for the house to make sure the house would feel safe and got one from the front door and one for the back door. Even got one to put in the backyard to kind of look at the bird aviary that the wife had built out of PVC pipe and uh, kind of this cage wrap stuff. Again, nothing too specific here. This could be any couple. And uh, when, when those cameras then came in the mail, uh, the husband was so excited and it was one of those like, put it on the table, ta-da, to which the wife said, what is that for? And he said, oh, because you want the house to feel safe. And that's when she explained to him that she was talking about like emotionally safe, <laughs> a space where the kids could feel, uh, share their feelings, where they could uh, talk openly with their parents. And uh, I, I believe the husband then hopped online and Ring does not have that attachment. That's not a thing you can you can purchase. And I say that to say this, uh, words are hard sometimes. Words can be confusing. We can mean one thing and they can be taken another. I have a friend of mine, uh, his name is Joe. He likes to say, you know, uh, words are hard. <laughs> that's his, he just says it all the time. Uh, if, if I'm around, he goes, and that's probably why Anthony uses like a thousand. So at least one will be right, right? Because that's, uh, if you spend time with me, you know that that uh, is a joke that Joe thinks is funny. But words are hard. And, and we use uh, words that, that mean lots of things, and we can end up spending hundreds of dollars on cameras when all our wife wanted uh, was a, a space to be emotionally safe. Uh, and again, that's, that's a story for, for another day. Uh, I digress. But the, the words we use when we talk about God, those are complicated as well and in different ways. Now, we're in a series as a church where we're talking about uh, being a better heretic, which I know might feel a little weird for, for a lot of us. Because if a heretic isn't somebody who just believes something uh, that is incorrect, but they also teach that thing that is incorrect, I'm pretty sure none of us want to be that person. But here's the thing. 
anytime that we as people, we put words to who God is, they're going to be limited just by the very nature of those words. The, the finite cannot fully speak of the infinite in a way that gives God justice. And yet, we are called to, to do those things. Even though God is bigger than our words, and even though words can be limiting, we still are called to talk about things that matter most. Uh, and my hope is that as we practice those things together, we give each other space to maybe not be perfect at it, but to get better at it. And that's the series. And, and, and I just want to set up today uh, giving us space to think about things that we know to be true and consider how we might talk about them with others. We can get better at these things. And, and when it comes to heresies, there are some that just won't go away. Some stick around because they are profitable. Uh, and, and that's kind of gross, and, 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 and I get that. Uh, other heresies stick around just because they're, they're easy to fall into. They're easy for people to kind of not fully understand something and, and learn it the wrong way and, and teach it, and that happens sometimes. And there are other heresies that stick around because they are convenient. They, they sometimes just overlook the, the teachings of Jesus to make things easier. They often lead towards us thinking higher of ourselves and less of other people. And those kinds of heresies end up actually being the ones that are unfortunately the most popular. And when you look at church history, uh, which for some of us is very exciting, and I recognize for some of us that is the most boring thing to talk about, uh, you find what I like to call boomerang heresies, things that we try to get rid of, but the harder we throw them, it seems like they just keep coming back. And today I want to throw one I want to get rid of one. I want to talk about it enough and get some good words around it so that when it comes back around in your life, you're able to notice it, identify it, and not catch it on this next pass that you might let it go by you. And I'm not going to use my own words today to get us all on the same page. I'm actually going to be looking at the words of the Apostle Paul as he wrote in his letter to the Ephesians, something that I want to make sure we catch today because it'll help us identify some things that we might believe that, that would lead us towards uh, a certain heresy we're going to get to. But let me, let me spend a moment and, and pray for us before we jump into God's word together. Let's pray. Uh, God, we recognize you are in this space where I am today and where uh, the person is listening to this message. And God, I pray that you would meet us here, that we would sense your presence, that you would teach us something new. And God, through what we learn from your word today, that our lives might be changed in such a way that the world might come to know you better. Uh, we pray this and all things in Jesus' name. And God, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Okay, so Paul uh, in Ephesians 2 uh, is writing to the first century church in Ephesus. Uh, I believe that God has something to say to us through Paul's words to that early church. Uh, Paul writes this in chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So let's make sure we, we unpack this one together because there's there's a lot there. You were once dead in your sin, 
When you followed the ways of this world, you were dead in your sin. Paul goes on to say that by, by your very nature, by my very nature, that all people, you and I, that we chase after things that will gratify our flesh, but those things will have wrath-inducing consequences. And, and I want you to know, when you see people in the world who chase after things that gratify their flesh, don't be surprised. That's what we're all wired to do. And also, don't feel superior, because you too, friends. And me too as well. And let me keep going. Paul writes this in verse four. But because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, and, and let me just pause. I'm so grateful for that line right there. Uh, for a moment there, Paul had me worried that I was gonna have to be like one of those pastors who just spends the whole time kind of doing a doomsday uh, message. Paul wants us to know what is true and where we're starting, but he wants to, to build on that and, and give us some great truth here. Verse four, but because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And this, friends, is the best news that God made us alive, that God saved us by grace so that we might show that grace to others. If you highlight your Bibles, if you're one of those people that kind of circles things or uses the app to kind of to mark things down, uh, here are just some key words in those verses that I think if you highlight them, they'll just be a good reminder to you of, of what Paul is calling us to. God made us alive by grace. I kind of highlight those words that he might show his grace. So how did God make us alive? By grace. And what does he want to show others? His grace. Paul continues in verse eight, for it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So Paul gets even more clear here. He says, it's by grace that you've been saved. Your works have nothing to do with your salvation. You were created to do good works, absolutely. But you don't get to boast about them because they don't earn you anything. And, and I know this could be hard for some of us to hear. You might come from a religious tradition that measured your works. Uh, there are church gatherings that, that they really focus in on uh, behavior modification, and, and the better you do, the more God loves you. That's not what scripture teaches us. In, in fact, there are uh, cults that this is what they do, is they, they measure your behavior, and they promise you that the better you do, and the more things you check off a list, you get to experience a, a different kind of heaven than other people. And that's just not what Paul is saying here. It's not found in the teachings of Jesus, that grace is a gift. And that the good works that you do through God's spirit and through that grace are not to be boasted about. And maybe you don't have religious baggage. That's not what gets you tied up on this concept of grace. Maybe it's just because, you know, it's hard to wrap your heart around the idea of grace because you live in a part of the world that is built around the idea that if you work hard, you earn things. And that's not a crazy thing to believe. In fact, 
It's exactly what the people of Ephesus believed, the people that Paul wrote this letter to. One of the reasons I like reading Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus is that uh, his instructions to them and his audience, they have a lot in common with us and the moment that we find ourselves in today. Ephesus was a, a major economic and cultural center of its day. Unlike Corinth, where Paul also wrote letters to, Corinth was more like uh, an ancient like Las Vegas, right? What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. Instead, in Ephesus, you were proud of your work. You boasted about your good work. The economy was doing great. You were probably a part of it if you lived there, and things were good. You were proud of it. The temple to Artemis, uh, which is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, was in Ephesus. And over the centuries of its existence, if you know the, the history of the region, the Temple of Artemis was destroyed multiple times. And after most all of the destructions, except for the last one, the people of Ephesus, they just rebuilt it because they had the means, they had the resources. Uh, they were well off enough to just build it and build it better each time. And, and you may not have heard of the goddess Artemis before. Maybe you have. Uh, maybe you know that by the time Jesus was living and then Paul later, because Rome had taken over, they had renamed Artemis Diana, uh, the goddess Diana, and, and that was her temple there. Uh, and the people of Ephesus, they, they worshipped that goddess historically and, and in the time that we find uh, Paul's writing because they hoped that through that worship they would be made prosperous. Her temple was, was in the city and entire sectors of commerce revolved around the worship of that goddess. In fact, uh, one of the major industries of the city was making little statuettes of the goddess uh, for people to carry around. In fact, if you go there today, Ephesus is in uh, modern day Turkey and you can, you can go there. You can see the ruins of the temple uh, and you can also still buy these little statues. It's still a thing that the, the industry of Ephesus is built around. Now, don't go buy weird idols and put them up in your house. That's not a good move. But people do and people can. And, and that economy is still thriving there today. The people of Ephesus, they, they worship this goddess because they, they believe that it would give them success in the areas of life that they held most dear. Much like most of us here today, like let me know if this sounds familiar, Paul was writing to people who found their identity and their worth in their finances and in their work and even in their children. Uh, among other things, Artemis and then later Diana was also the goddess of fertility. Uh, she's kind of like this catch-all goddess. You know how like Superman in the comics has like all the powers? That's kind of how they treated this one. Like they just added different things onto her as they went. Uh, and, and that pursuit of success and that desire for success and that worship of success is what made it easy for the Ephesians to boast in their good works. But when we try to boast in our good works, when we believe that we can even do good works on our own, the, the works that maybe even we know that God has created us to do, but without God's grace, we start believing in a heresy called Pelagianism. So Pelagius, he was a leader in the fourth century church. He believed that people could work hard enough on their own uh, that they could work their way into heaven without God's grace. And in doing so, Pelagius had to do some like mental and theological uh, gymnastics uh, around some pretty clear teachings from the New Testament to get there. Uh, Jesus himself said in John 15, 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And Jesus' best friend, John, he, he wrote it this way. 
uh, in his, one of his pastoral letters in 1 John uh, 1.8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In addition to what he wrote to the church in Ephesus, Paul was as clear as he could be in his letter to the Christians in Rome on the subject. In, in Romans 3.23, Paul writes, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Pelagius' assertion that, that we are not born into sin and that, that we can actually choose a life on our own without the power of God's grace to, to not sin and then to, to earn our way into heaven through our works, uh, I feel like I kind of want to take him aside and be like, but have you ever like parented a young child? Because those of you who have, you, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, when our kids were younger, we hosted a Super Bowl party at our house uh, and we got to uh, watch uh, Tom Brady lose to the New York Giants for like the second time in five years. It was incredible. We didn't know that's what we were signing up for that day when our small group got together to watch Super Bowl, but it was a bonus. It was great. Uh, sorry, Patriots fans, but also not sorry, Patriots fans. It was a good game. And uh, about, about midway through the game, as, as we're watching it and we're engaged, and we're hanging out as a small group, I noticed uh, that our daughter had kind of gotten quiet somewhere else in the house. And I, I know that, you know, those of us who've parented young kids, we know that can go a couple directions. They're usually not good. And so I, I kind of wandered around and, and heard her dragging a stool uh, across the kitchen floor. And so I kind of peeked around the corner. I wanted to see what was happening. And she got that stool up to the counter where we had all of the desserts. She climbed up that stool. She took one arm and just woof. And the, the Oreos, right? The back Oreos goes flying and boom, hits the ground and goes sliding. And she kind of gets back off the stool and goes walking across over the, the floor to where the Oreos are. And she sat down and then she just like went all in on her bounty, right? She opened that thing up and she started taking bites of them and throwing them. She started eating the middles out and putting them back in. There was this one that she took out, got it in half, threw the part away that didn't have the, the frosting, licked that part, stuck it on her forehead. I don't know. Uh, and, and kept eating, and it was hilarious to watch until there was this moment that it struck me, wait, I'm the dad. This is my house. I'm going to have to clean this up. Oh, man, right? So I, I took a couple steps back, and then I did like the dad walk. Maybe your dad had a dad walk. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. I, you know, kind of some heavy steps to let her know I was coming, and, and I come into the kitchen, and she sees me, and her eyes get about as big as those Oreos, <laughs> uh, and she just looks at me, and uh, I, I looked at her, and I, and I asked her, hey, hey, what happened? She goes, I don't know. <laughs> so, so I tried again. I, I asked her uh, if she had been eating the Oreos. And, and with all of the sincerity that she could muster, she just looks at me and she goes, no. Oreos still on her head, right? Um, and if you've ever eaten Oreos, like the evidence is everywhere. And, and so I, I kind of leaned in. I got close to her. And I said, honey, but who ate the cookies and made this mess? And she just looks at me and she goes, the cat did it. We don't own a cat. We didn't own a cat then. We don't own a cat now. I'm not quite sure where that lie came from. Um, but friends, like when, when I leaned in, I just gave her the like seriously look. She lost it. She, she just started crying. That Oreo that was stuck like fell to the ground. She couldn't even get out the words that she was sorry because she was just so devastated that she'd gotten caught, Right. And then I realized she was getting loud. I might get caught too. So I calmed her down. I was like, hey, here's an extra couple cookies. Dad will clean this up. Go play in the rest of the house. And I, I cleaned things up. Uh, and here's the thing. I never had to teach her how to make mistakes. 
No one had to teach me how to make parenting mistakes. We kind of just figure those things out on our own. Even the most darling people among us are not immune to doing things that satisfy the flesh, to, to chasing after those things that, that we know might not actually be the best things to do, but we just want them a whole lot, and so we do them anyways. It's not just the world around us. It's, it's you. It's me. These are real struggles that we have. We are born this way. And, and where Pelagius led people astray and, and the heresy that Christians still fall into is believing that our intuition by nature is good. It's not a first-time experience for humanity, but, but we find ourselves in this current cultural moment where we've bought the lie that we can know what is right and what is wrong just based on our feelings. And I'm not saying that, that your feelings aren't, paying attention, aren't worth paying attention to. They absolutely are. Uh, our feelings absolutely matter. They absolutely count. Our feelings are given to us uh, by God. Jesus experienced feelings, so feelings aren't bad. But... Our feelings cannot be the authority in our lives because they're not always 100% trustworthy. Paul reminds you, and he reminds me, and he reminds every other person in the world today that we were born broken. And yet, how easy is it for us to forget the truth of that sometimes? And, and sometimes we expect people to live into the good works that God has called them to without first helping them understand God's great love for them and to receive God's grace. Uh, a little over a month ago, I broke a bone in my arm. I was, I was in a car accident. And you wouldn't know it looking at me today uh, because the, the bone, it, it cracked down the center, I won't go into too much. I don't want to make myself woozy on, on this one. But I, I don't need a cast. There was no displacement, as they call it. Um, but it does mean that I'm supposed to be careful and not lift anything for a while. I have to be careful when, when it comes to doing this motion and, and twisting, right? Because that torque can actually break the bone further and could potentially split it. And, and I'm right-handed. And, and this next month, uh, my family and I, we're, we're moving across town. And so we're right now putting things into boxes. And I can't help uh, it is tricky to not use my arm, but I can't because it's broken. And I can't do the things right now that I'll be able to do when I'm fully healed. And in the same way, Scripture teaches us that we are broken. But God, in his love for us, he shows us grace and he heals us. But when we try to do good on our own, or when you expect a person who is not a follower of Jesus, who has not experienced God's grace, God's spirit is not helping them do those things that God created them to do, we fall into the heresy of Pelagius. We act as though we don't need God's grace to do the good works we were created to do. And that's a lie. And that does not line up with the teachings of Scripture. Our first move should always be to point people to God's love and towards his grace Toward them. If someone has not experienced God's grace and healing in their life, and we expect them to live into the good works that God desires for them, it's like asking someone with a broken bone to do things that will only make the break worse. But ultimately, it comes down to a question of trust. Do you trust that God's grace through Jesus can heal someone? And if you're not sure, it might be that you haven't experienced that kind of, of life-transforming grace that God has to offer to you. 
You might be chasing the lie of Pelagius that you can, can do all that God is asking you to do on your own. You might be worshiping the goddess of the Ephesians who promises that your hard work will be rewarded by prosperity, successful children, and good hunting. I know, they threw that one on there too. Like I'm telling you, this goddess, like she was in charge of all of the things. And, and you might be chasing after those things. Paul's message to the Ephesians, scripture's word for us today, is that Jesus' followers are called to live as people of grace so that the world around us might experience God's grace for them. And your church is one that is built on grace. It's a non-negotiable for us. We have a document. It's on our website. I've talked about it before. Our staff commits to following these things as our core behaviors. They are not just values. They are things that we live into. And, and it's on our website. It's, if, you, if you didn't look at it the last time I mentioned you should look at it, you should check it out. It's good to know what are the things that guide the leadership of your church. And there are eight behaviors that we list out. We wanted a list that was you know, short enough that we could remember them. Uh, but also we wanted to name those things that we feel like matter most. The one I want to draw your attention to today, we call grace first. We define it this way. We favor forgiveness to judgment and love over legalism. And then we have this little note in there. This is a major change in direction from the reputation that lots of churches have. I wish it weren't so. But friends, uh, Pelagius has done some work. He's got some stuff going on in there. And we want to name this as a priority to us. As a church, we want the world to know God's deep love and grace for them. So we're committed to showing grace to those outside of the church in, in bigger ways than you might think they deserve. And we're committed to that. We take seriously Jesus's words to his followers that the world will know that we are his disciples by the way that we love one another. He doesn't say that the world will know that we follow him by how right we are. We're committed to being a community of grace towards each other as a distinctive part of our Christian faith. And as a precursor to all of that, we live in the belief that God desires to show us grace personally. I firmly believe that those of us who can recognize the brokenness in our own lives and we can ask God's grace to heal us, that we will, by the very nature of experiencing that grace, be compelled to share it with others. At Real Life, you know this probably if you've been around, that we started the year out by inviting everyone to take the mission of the church seriously. And seriously enough to prioritize your life around prioritizing others. Uh, it, it's to that end that we introduced our, our blessing cards and our blessing card challenge. And, and we've heard incredible stories coming out of this. Because we believe that, that doing life alongside people who are committed to showing you grace can help shape you into that person that Jesus has created you to be. And we've seen people get baptized because you wrote their name on a blessing card and then you loved them deeply in Jesus' name. And then you led them to give their life to Jesus. And now they're passing the faith on to others. Can you imagine the math on that? If we all decided to pick eight people, that's how many slots are on the card. And we decided we're gonna bless these eight people so much that they will know God's great love and grace for them. And imagine the math if they then went and did the same for others, that they experienced God's grace in such a way that it, it compelled them, not just to, to live into those good works that God has created them to do, but instead to call others to that kind of love and grace as well. The remedy to the brokenness of our world around us is grace. 
it is not an elected official. It's grace. It's not a new law or, or the pursuit of power over others. Those are not things that will save you. And, and as one of your pastors, those will not be the things I ever point you toward as things that will rescue and save you. Instead, it is God's grace by which we are saved. You have been saved by grace. And it's through grace that God desires to save those who are in need of healing. And now it's up to us. It's up to you. And it's up to me to take seriously this call. To, to take scripture at what it says. To live into this. And to be the ones to share grace with a world so deeply in need of it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, it's more than we can do on our own. And yet, uh, we can do all things through you. And so I ask that those hearing today's message, and even, even I, would seek your grace in new ways this week, that we might share that grace with others, that you would heal us, that we might help others experience your healing. God, be with us as we seek to be your church in your world, for the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.